They see that low rider go by, they like, oh my You ain't got to tell me why you're sick, cause I know why I dip through in that six tray, like sick of Dre I'm a niche that they can't scratch, they sick of me But hey, what else can I say, I love LA Cause over and above all, it's just another day And this one begins where the last one ends Pick up where we left off and get smashed again I'll be damned, just fucked around and crashed my pins Driving around with a smashed front end Let's cash that one in Grab another one from out the stable The Monte Carlo, El Camino, or the El Dorado The hell if I know, do I want leather seats or vinyl? Decisions, decisions, garage looks like precision collision Or Mako, beats quake like Waco Just keep the bass low, speakers away from your face though face So crack a bottle, let your body waddle Don't act like a starby model, you just hit the lotto Welcome to the Bucket Drop Podcast, brought to you by Rurban Brewing, where they have a beer for every palate. It's Thursday, so firsty Thursday, so I'm going to have to get there soon because I haven't been in a little while. The episode's also brought to you by Bonfire Shades. If you'd like to get a good pair of sunglasses that look great, I'm wearing them right now for uh, my little trip to Ottawa this morning to go pick up some materials for the company. Get some pair of Bonfire Shades. Uh, They got a UV of 400, polarized, sexy. If you get laid, just say, thank you, bucket drop, after you roll over. Just don't say it too loud to freak the person out. If you use the promo code BLAK, capital B-E-L-A-K, so all capitals, when you go to bonfireshades.ca, you're going to get 10% off. And if your eyes are sensitive to light um, from concussions, uh, if you're a hockey player, if uh, you're a baseball player, whatever you play, these shades are for you. And, you know, you got sunglasses like Oakley and, uh, you know, Ray-Bans. Those are selling for crazy amounts. These glasses are only like 50 bucks. So uh, use that promo code BLAC, bonfireshades.ca, and uh, get yourself a pair of shades. And they look really cool because uh, the whole front part of the sunglasses is uh, just one piece. And uh, you're definitely going to get some compliments on them. I know I have. Uh, just talking about a few things that are going on this week. Um, the return to play is official. Uh, obviously, we know the two hub cities. And uh, it looks like the date will be on August 1st. July 31st, uh, we're going to have six games of exhibitions and uh, so on. So when the, this, when the, uh, the play-in series begins which the Montreal Canadiens are part of. We're going to have six games to watch per day, which is uh, pretty exciting. A few uh, other points. Um, I noticed that, uh, I don't know if this has been clarified, but uh, a few of the players from the Montreal Canadiens have been, uh, have tested positive for COVID-19, which is, uh, you know, not really good news. Um, I think uh, we're going to see this more and more. I personally don't think it's a good idea that they, uh, that they even have this, this thing, I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Um, I think if there's going to be more tests, positive tests, um, they're just going to uh, put the kibosh to it. Think that why take a risk of ruining next season? I understand uh, the entertainment value. I'm going to tune in if it happens, but uh, I think it's a little bit idiotic. Uh, that's my opinion on it. And uh, another thing that I saw on Twitter, someone posted, uh, it was actually someone who works, I think, for Sports Center. Um, they listed all the hotels that the players are staying at in the hub cities like Toronto. So not a good idea. Obviously the fans are going to try to get some autographs and stand outside the building. So 
not too sure why they released that information. Uh, to me, it's the first big mistake that they've made. Not too sure what that guy was thinking. And uh, as far as other sports, uh, not many sports going on. Uh, I know that I've seen some baseball games. But uh, the UFC, I watched over the weekend. Um, there were some good fights, submissions, uh, knockouts. But uh, I think most of the action, except for uh, the Rose Namanunas uh, fight, uh, happened in the prelims so uh, the uh, main event between uh, Jorge Masvidal and uh, Kamaru Usman was a little bit lackluster Jorge obviously wasn't on a full camp and like he said in his press conference that you know he can't wait to have abs again you can tell that there was a big difference between uh, Usman's physique and uh, Jorge Masvidal even though uh, Kamaru Usman is kind of like a, a freak of nature but uh, when you're the champion uh, you kind of fight a little bit safe and I think that's what Usman did he did enough to get the victory but just kept on stomping his feet I don't think I've ever seen so many foot stomps um since like the beginning of the UFC I remember seeing that a lot before but he was uh, uh utilizing that a lot um I was hoping for Masvidal to win but I didn't uh, bet money I don't think I would have bet money on that one Jeez, that Nama Yunus girl she's she sure is pretty but tough as nails oh my god she is a warrior. Other news, uh, Ghislaine uh, Maxwell, who was the, uh, I guess, the arm candy of uh, Jeffrey Epstein. She's been arrested uh, by the FBI. So uh, kind of wonder if she's going to uh, end up dead like Epstein. Weird circumstances because uh, supposedly she's about to release some information on some very elite people um in politics maybe even movie stars i don't know you know wouldn't be surprised if uh, we find out that she has been uh, she's a committed suicide um if you don't know the jeffrey epstein story uh go on netflix there's a short documentary on it disgusting stuff obviously um pedophilia taking advantage of young girls uh basically had a pedophile island supposedly uh, some big politicians have visited that goof uh woody allen was suspected of going there too which uh, if you know his story he uh married his daughter that he uh that he adopted with his wife which is just creepy as fuck yeah so who knows what's gonna happen with her um maybe she's gonna release some big names um maybe even movie stars like i said so stay tuned for that and uh we're gonna get into hockey soon um before that i'm just gonna uh give a shout out to my usual suspects so uh Darren, the fourth line voice, uh, go check out his YouTube page. He's got about, uh, about over 2,000 fights and he's got a great podcast. Uh, just recently, he's had an episode. So he releases episodes every Sunday and every Wednesday. Um, and uh, actually, this uh, week's podcast uh, is with Jeremy Thompson. So I'm going to have to check out that episode. Very good podcast in depth. It goes fight per fight a little bit uh, like Joe Lozito does. Uh, Joe Lozito, I just listened to his episode with Eric Bolton, which was a great episode. Joe's on my podcast today to complete the top 10 list for New York Islanders enforcers. Uh, Eric Bolton, uh, definitely one of my favorites. I, I love watching that guy fight. Just a gamer and a marathon fighter. You know, sometimes you think he was uh, losing and then he'd come back and get the the victory. Um, had some great fights um, with, uh, he's had fights with uh, George LaRock. He was just talking about how strong George LaRock was uh, in uh, Joe's episode. Just said that grabbing onto Joe, or to uh, George, sorry, was like grabbing onto a horse and trying to wrestle that. So Joe Lazito, Coliseum Chronicles, go check him out, guys. 
So uh, all these guys are on Twitter, right? So like I said, Fourth Line Voice, Joe Lazito is at Coliseum Chronicles, and Joe has his own Twitter page as well. Last but not least, Five for Fighting, the number five for fighting on Twitter. Uh, go check him out. He's also on Facebook at the Enforcer Appreciation page where he is the host of that page. Um, and uh, yeah, just to give uh, appreciation to the Enforcers. Uh, his latest episode, as far as I saw, was with... Uh, Danny Probert and he had Darren from the fourth line voice for the uh, anniversary of the passing of Bob Probert so uh, Danny Probert was very interesting and uh, yeah he was he did his homework did a great episode with Danny Probert and with his buddy Darren at fourth line voice and uh, those guys have helped me a lot with the podcast um, told me uh, different um, avenues I can use to record and uh yeah, both purchased a hat. So, guys, if you haven't purchased a bucket drop hat yet, uh, a little bit like Alec, uh, the enforcer appreciation, that's kind of why I'm selling the hats. You know, just to appreciate the guys that dropped the gloves. And, uh, yeah, when I came out with the whole uh, bucket drop concept, actually even before doing a, a podcast, I thought it'd be cool to make some hats to, uh, you know, give some appreciation back to the enforcers, um, guys that entertained us. I think the game's a little bit boring now because uh you know there's no accountability so uh buy a hat and it also helps the victims of child abuse so uh, all uh, all hats the profits go directly to the children's treatment center in cornwall it's my way of doing charity without doing charity i guess um because i'm pretty busy right now with uh with the baby and everything else and uh trying to do this podcast the boys know that uh running a podcast takes a little bit of time especially in the editing phase and especially when you're me, because I ramble and I do a lot of uh, 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 so I have to uh, edit that and uh, add in my little music and all those things. So, like I said, we have Joel Azito, but before that, I'm going to do my segment, which I call You Might Be a Loser, where I bring in a couple things like Peter Griffin that, you know, grind my gears and uh, just uh, mention them on the podcast. So three things for today. If you wear a beast mode shirt to the gym and your man titties are bigger than mine, you might be a loser. If you refer to the Habs fans as crybaby Habs, you might be a loser. And finally, if your favorite band is Linkin Park, you definitely might be a loser. Moving on, excuse me, to Joseph Lazito. If you didn't listen to the last episode, go check it out, please. Episode 38, he talks about his story where he saved a bunch of lives by putting an end to a killing spree. He didn't say that he saved a bunch of lives. I'm saying that he saved a bunch of lives because Joe is a hero. Go check out that episode where he talks about putting an end to the killing spree of Maxim Gelman, an absolute piece of garbage human being, not even a human being. So go check out that episode. And uh, yeah, he goes from 10 to 6 in his top 10 list of New York Islanders enforcers. And uh, now we're down to the nitty gritty the top five guys. So we're going to jump right into it. If there's no smooth transition, it's because I'm not a professional podcaster. See you on the other side. I only have one more to cross off my list to get my bingo card. Yeah, and, that, and that's I didn't even get to the top five yet. <laughs> Actually, one guy I want to mention to you, though, Mitch Fritz. Yeah, he's not on my list. but Do you remember watching him fight? Oh, yeah. he's. Well, I remember, I remember getting tapes of him when he was with Kelowna. And, uh, 
He's just so fucking big, man. And actually, he was yeah. uh, he was only here for a short time. But I, I, that's the thing. Like, they had a lot of long-term guys. But they also had a lot of short-term guys like Fritz that it was great having him here. He might have only had 10 fights for you guys. Yeah, I don't know how many he had, but it was it was short-term. But And I met him. The first time I actually met him was I was I used to work in the box office for uh, at Madison Square Garden. And he came to see a band. Are they called uh, Theory of the Dead Man or something like that? And uh, okay, yeah. he came to my window and I was like, oh, shit, Mitch Fritz, what's up? So at the Garden, what we did was whenever someone would pick up their tickets, they signed the envelope and we keep those. Fritz's envelope just happened to come home with me that night, though. So uh, so I have it in my collection. Big ass dude. Yeah. yeah, I don't know him at all. I don't. I got to see if I know anyone that knows him because obviously I would love to get him on the show. Now, number five, if you're going to go down any rabbit hole on YouTube, this is the guy I want you to start with, okay? His, his name is Gary Howitt. He's the hitman. Gary Howitt is second all-time in Islander fighting majors with 146. And Gary Howard is the guy who okay. held the all-time penalty minute record for the Islanders before Mick Lakota um, broke it. Gary Howard is he, – he's started with the team in 1972-73. And he played through the 80-81 playoffs. And Gary Howard is a guy that a lot of times, for people that aren't here on the island – I think he kind of takes a backseat to guys like Gillies and Nystrom because they played at the same time. But anyone who watched Gary Howitt at the time or, you know, is here on the island knows that a big part of why Gillies and Nystrom were able to do what they did is because of a guy like Gary Howitt. Because Gary Howitt was the perfect guy at the perfect time. Gary Howitt was a guy, like I mentioned earlier with Brian Kern going into Philly, well, when Gary Howitt went into Philly, he went in against the Broad Street Bullies. Gary Howitt, again, didn't care. Gary Howitt's a small guy, but he's got legs like tree trunks. Fought Dave Schultz a bunch of times. You name you name a heavyweight from the 70s. Gary Howitt fought him probably at least twice. Just a pure fighter? I think back then guys had to play also. Okay. But if you're if you're gonna look at his numbers compared to the numbers that Nystrom put up or Gillies put up. His numbers in terms of points definitely were not going to be like that. But, I mean, I'm just looking at my stuff here. Basically, almost every year he played, almost every year he played, he led the team in penalty minutes, led the team in fighting majors. Um, okay. Just they called him the Toy Tiger. They called him the Hitman because uh, he's probably 5'9", maybe, you know, but plays like he's seven feet tall. And just like I said – you name a guy, you know, Terry O'Reilly, Dave Schultz. Um, geez, I'm looking at that, like Moose DuPont, uh, Bob Gassoff. All these guys from back then, Tiger Williams, that you know of, all the Bruins, Wensink, fought everybody. And most of the time, he's a smaller guy in the fight, and it didn't matter. Is he still alive? Yes, absolutely. He's one of the guys that I said probably wouldn't do my show because I'm a ham and egger, but I don't know him at all. I think he's in Arizona now. Um, but... I, like I said, I think because he played with Gillies and Nystrom, I think he kind of – he's like the forgotten guy back then, unless you're a hockey nerd, hockey fight yeah. nerd like we are. Go on YouTube and watch Gary Howitt because it, dude's a fucking animal. He just – he I guess there's no other way I could say it other than he was the perfect guy for that team at that time to, to do the job that he did. He was absolutely perfect. 
Who's your number four then? Well, number four. Now, here's the here's the issue with the Islanders. Okay, I'm gonna say this right now. Everyone in my top five, I can make an argument to be number one. Okay, that's including Gary Howitt, and that's including my number four, who's Mick Vakoda. Okay, I'm not trying to make it so you don't get guests on your show, by the way, because I no. know that you know that they're all tough. So. No, 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 no. I'm just saying. And I've said this before, and I'm going to I'm gonna make a point with one of my guys that I, I probably – I think who I have number three. The issue with the Islanders is, like you say, they have so many guys who are, who are super tough. And with everybody in my top five, I can argue that they could be the toughest player in the history of the team. Okay? And Mick is no different. Yeah. So Mick Vakoda started in 1987. And the one thing, the one thing I say about Mick Vakoda, and I said this to him, and I, I said it to him on the show, and I've said it to him in private. My favorite thing about Mick Vakoda is Mick Vakoda played in the Western League when it was the Wild West, when it was just chaos. Okay, but what happens with a lot of guys as they climb the ladder? Um, I don't, I don't want to say you mature, but you kind of adapt to your environment. And when Mick got on the ice, whether he was in Springfield or whether he was with the Islanders, he brought the Western League attitude with him, okay? And Mick was one of the – like you see nowadays where the players are all buddy-buddy. You know, everyone's got the same agent now and everyone's friends and they talk during the warm-ups and everything. But that just wasn't – that wasn't Mick. Mick was on – he was an Islander. And if you were on the other side of the red line during the warm-up, you're the enemy. And then when the game started, you were the enemy. Okay, and he just had that attitude. Another thing about Mick Vakoda, and notice I haven't even mentioned any specific fights yet. Another thing about Mick Vakoda, Mick Vakoda loved, loved, loved being an Islander. And Mick Vakoda played during a time where the Islanders were not exactly a desirable destination for people to come to. And Mick Vakoda was grateful to be an Islander and loved being an Islander here. And for us here... You know, some people have like that mentality, like the Rangers are the big brother and we're the little brother. I don't necessarily subscribe to that, but a lot of people feel that way. And when you have a guy that loves being an Islander, well, that goes a long way with the fan base. And, and he, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, he loved being an Islander. And here's the other thing. Let me bring this up about Mick Vakoda. It's one thing that I like the best about him. So I'm a Buffalo Bills fan and uh, the Bills and the Sabres are owned by the same people. And they have their same production company. The Bills and the Sabres, they call, uh, for the Bills, it's beyond blue and red. For the Sabres, it's beyond blue and gold. And the, the people that do the production are, they do these unbelievable video features. And one of the things they did was they did a thing on Rob Ray and Ty Domi and the rivalry th that they had, which you can't find on YouTube anymore because the NHL made them take it down. Believe it or not, of course. I know. Yeah. Why? So, well, you know, because it's the NHL. But before they took it down, so it was very well done. But here's the thing. Everyone wants to talk about the rivalry between Rob Ray and Ty Domi. There is not a rivalry. There, Rob Ray did not have a better rivalry with anybody than Mick Fakoda. And do you know why it was a great rivalry? Because they hated each other. To this day, Mick Fakoda does not like Rob Ray. You couldn't do... What they did in that feature where Rob Ray and Ty Domi are sitting in recliners with Andrew Peters uh, in the middle of the arena, you couldn't do that. Mick Vakoda wouldn't want to sit there with Rob Ray right now because that's just – that's Rob Ray, he did some real shitty things 
what one of the things that Mick says is Rob Ray starts chirping Al Arbor. You don't chirp Al Arbor. And and Mick held him accountable for that. And he just did a lot of stupid shit when he played the Islanders. And it didn't sit well with the team. And to this day, Mick doesn't like him. They fought a bunch of times. That's a rivalry. I, I get the whole thing where Rob Ray and Ty Domi could fight and they pat each other on the ass and everything's great afterwards. But the rivalry that Mick had with, with, with Rob Ray, actually both of the guys, but the rivalry he had with Rob Ray blows away the Ray Domi rivalry. And, and people can disagree with me. I really don't care. But Mick had some unbelievable rivalries here. And the Rob Ray run one was by far the best one. It also helps me that I don't like Rob Ray. So that's why I love it even more. But anyone from the late 80s to the mid 90s that was a fighter, same thing like I said about Gary Howitt, Mick Vakota fought him. Just pick a name out of a hat, Mick fought him. I love the guy. And, uh, you know, like I said, I have him at number four. I can make an argument to make him number one. But for, for right now, he's number four. I love him. I'm glad he ended up here on the island. And, and by the way, should have been a career Islander if it wasn't for Mike Milbury being such an ultimate douchebag. I'm not a Rob Ray fan. No. I, I, listen, I, I give Rob here's, – here's, here's what I'll say about Rob Ray. I didn't like Rob Ray for the Jersey stuff, and I have no problem saying that. I also have no problem saying that when they put in the Rob Ray rule and he had to keep his jersey on, the guy became a million times better with his jersey on. This guy's knocking guys out when he, with his jersey on. So even though I don't like it, yeah, and, I, yeah, yeah. and again, I mean as a hockey player, as a guy, he could be a great guy. I don't know. But when he took the jersey off, I thought that was bullshit. I thought it was cheap. Uh, I saw him hurt guys with the jersey off, and I thought that was bullshit. That's my whole thing. Right, right. But I got to give the guy credit. Now they make the rule, hey, you got to tie your jersey down. And when the guy ties his jersey down, all of a sudden he's – He's three or four times the fighter he was when the jersey came off. Uh, the what I, I don't like I don't like him as a player. I respect him for what he did when he had to keep the jersey on. But the one thing I will say about Rob Ray, Rob Ray, Rob Ray was perfect for a, for a, the Buffalo Sabers because that guy is a legend and he is. Oh, I mean, he is the right player for that town. They love that guy. They absolutely love him. I'm glad he was in the NHL. I'm glad he played in Buffalo. Because especially nowadays, you don't have characters like that anymore. And he, just like Vakoda here with the Islanders, Ray and Buffalo was a perfect fit. And, uh, you know, like I said, I don't have to like the guy to respect what he did after his jersey had to stay on. 100%. I had Mick Vakoda as my number seven. Okay. Yep. Number three. Number three. Now, here's again a guy that I can make a case for being the toughest guy in the history of the team. And that's Eric Cairns. I have him at number three. And I, again, I can make a case for him being the toughest guy in history of the team. But for right what now, a beauty. For right now, he's number three. Now, yeah. Eric Cairns, for, for people who don't know, was drafted by the Rangers. And Cairns, um, I believe his rookie season, he won the Lars Eric Schoberg Award for top rookie with the Rangers. But for whatever reason, never really found his niche with them. And, you know, he he spent some time in Binghamton, spent some time with the Rangers. They moved the team to Hartford. He spent some time in Hartford, back with the Rangers. He never, whatever it was, never really found his place with the Rangers. Well, now they put him on waivers, and he's claimed by the Islanders. Now, I had known him as a Ranger, so I am giddy as all that the Islanders picked this guy up. The best part is, when you know, he spent some time in the minors before he became a regular with the Islanders. 
And once he became a regular with the Islanders, the reason why he had so many great fights is because he was a top six defenseman. So he got top six defenseman minutes because he could play the game. Similar to Baumgartner, when Baumgartner was here, I don't know how much playing time he got with LA. But I know when he came here, he got a regular shift on defense and his game improved. You know, so if you don't know that and you just think these guys are fighters, but like a guy like Bomber, when he came here, his he got a regular shift. And when Cairns came here and he established himself, he got a regular shift. And we haven't even touched on the guys that he murdered as a fighter. I mean, once the biggest thing with Cairns is he's strong as hell. And with the Islanders, he finally, whatever it was, he was able to use his reach. So he'd string guys out and just throw that right hand. And he would just crush guys. And there was a whole thing here with Sandy McCarthy and Theo Fleury when they were on the Rangers and Theo Fleury doing his little chicken dance, saying that Karen's was afraid to fight Sandy McCarthy. And that pissed him off. And then, of course, the next time they played at the Garden, Karen's just, you know, he did very well in the fight. Karen's is a guy you just didn't want to get mad. If you go on YouTube and you look for Dale Purinton and Eric Karen's, um, there was a game at the Garden and Purinton suckered him. He suckered him big time. And Cairns, he's a real mellow guy, like a real gentle giant type. Just don't get him mad. Well, he was fucking pissed. And then the next time they played was at the Coliseum. And there's like a five on five that breaks out. And like, I think in the same thing, like Goddard ended up fighting Chris Simon. And Cairns is just, he wants to get at Puritan in the worst way. And Puritan's a guy with a reputation. He's a little bit crazy. He's a tough guy, this and that. Puritan couldn't. Stay further away from Eric Cairns. I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, at one point, he kind of managed to stay behind Mark Messier. Cairns was just a guy, I mean, I think he broke Todd Fedorik's face. Todd, everyone knows how tough Todd Fedorik is. Um, just when he was here, he was a presence. And, I mean, you know, like, just a guy, you go back and you watch all his fights, and it's just like, holy shit, this guy's a killer. Exactly. And, like, he was my number one, by the way. And again, we're going to talk about why I say all these guys could be number one when we get to number one. I've been fortunate over the years to have be able to have met a lot of these guys. And with some of these guys, I'm still very friendly with them. And there's certain guys that you root for and they're easy to root for. And Karen's is one of those guys. And, oh, for sure. You know, he's one of those guys. He's big, but he's just a gentleman. He's, you know, over the years when I've met a lot of these guys, a lot of times, even when I was dating my wife, my wife would always be there with me if we went to see a guy at the hotel or we saw him after the game. And my wife was there with me. And every one of the guys was always very nice to her. Karen's was one of the few guys who actually remembered her name and would say, hey, Joe, hey, Andrew, how's that going? And I was like, that is something that impressed me. Because like I said, every, everybody was very friendly all the time. But they'd be like, hey, Joe, hey, you know, whatever. And it's like, you know, I don't. Listen, I don't begrudge anyone for not remembering the name of someone they see once or twice a year. But the fact that Karen's actually remembered her name went a long way with me, just the kind of guy he is. But he's also a guy, like I said, don't get him mad because his fist is literally like a cinder block and uh, he'll put it through your face. Big hands? It's like putting your hand in, in one of those big envelopes. Really, eh? Yeah, it's, it's and I don't I don't have small hands, but they're I'm like a baby. My wife's hands are the same size as mine. So either she has big hands or you got baby hands. I got little baby hands, like <laughs> like Donald Trump. <laughs> there you go. Like I said, I could go all day 
talk about Eric Cairns. That's how much I love the guy. Good guy. Who's your next guy? Number two is Mr. Islander, Bob Nystrom. Once we get to number one, I'm going to, all this will come into, it'll come to the light with what I've been talking about. So, you know, the dynasty guys, you know, Brian Trottier, you know, Mike Bossy, you know, uh, Dennis Podvin, you know, Billy Smith. So those are like the core, the yeah. core guys who everyone talks about. Okay. Bob Nystrom is Mr. Islander, not those guys. Bobby Nystrom is Mr. Islander. Okay. Bob Nystrom is, he's Mr. Long Island. I, I can't imagine that Bob Nystrom has bought himself a coffee or a drink since he's been an Islander. Because not only is he Mr. Islander, he's such a personable guy, and he's a gentleman, and he's just just a really nice guy. He's a, he's a, he's one of the team ambassadors. I mean, everybody loves Bobby Nystrom. If you don't love Bobby Nystrom, you're probably a Rangers fan, or you just you I don't know what it is. But um, so, like we were talking before with Gary Howitt, um, you know, these guys played in an era where the NHL was was a jungle, and Bobby Nystrom, if you want to say he rode shotgun to Clark Gillies, although he, he fought more than Clark Gillies. Um, I think a lot of times maybe guys fought Nystrom because they didn't want to fight Gillies. And that was probably a mistake also because, because Nystrom wasn't as big as Gillies, but you know, he just he, guys tough as nails. He's got great hands, um, you know, through, through both hands, predominantly a right-handed fighter, but uh, the guy's actually Swedish, believe it or not. He was born in Sweden, and then he was raised in Canada. So, um, but again, for the time that he played, fought everybody. He scored the overtime goal that won the Islanders the first cup, okay? And my favorite Bob Nystrom story is this is a fight for people to watch. So, um, Pat LaFontaine, when he first came to the Islanders, you know, um, He's, you know, the poster boy, good-looking kid from Verdun, and Sad. you know, like yeah. just just small, smaller guy, whatever, fitting in on this dynasty team because he got here at the end of the dynasty. And there was a game against Toronto where Jim Corn was roughing him up like something bad. Like he was every chance he got, he was trying to take an extra shot at the kid and trying to intimidate him and everything. Yeah. And then at some point, Nystrom grabs him and just fucking beats the brakes off him. And, and there's two feeds that are on YouTube. And the one feed, I think, is the Toronto feed. It has Don Cherry. And he basically says, someone better get in there. Nystrom's going to kill him. Like, it was it was a one-sided beating. And it was and, and my favorite part about it was is that it was Bobby coming to Patty's defense. And it was just like, you know, you're not going to run this kid. You know, he's just, it's, it's our star of the future. You're not going to bully this kid and, and not have any circumstances come your way. But through the years, you know, again, anytime you talk Islander fighters, you're going to talk about them playing the Flyers and the Broad Street Bullies. Um, Nystrom had a beautiful toe-to-toe fight with Mel Bridgman. Um, but, but again, he's just a guy. And again, all these, and we're talking about it now, all these guys could play. They had to play at the time also. Um so, you know, like, like you get goose, like as an Islander fan, you kind of get goosebumps talking about Bob Nystrom because he's just like, like I say, it's, I just keep repeating it, but he's Mr. Islander. He just fought everybody, had a great fight with Dave Hoida. Uh, I'm trying to remember them off the top of my head. Um, but 
I mean, dude, he's another guy. If you're not familiar with him, anyone listening, if you're not familiar with Bob Nystrom, just plug it in YouTube and just enjoy because absolutely 100% one of the top fighters of his era when he played. I have him at number two. I could easily put him at number one. Uh, but and and when I eventually do my my breakdowns, he might be number one. While we're talking about that, Pat Lafontaine, Montreal beat the Islanders to win the cup in '93. They beat them in the Wales Conference Final before they played LA. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But Lafontaine was playing for them, no? No, he he was already traded. Which, you know, like for and we're not now we're not going to talk about fighters, but that was the big trade that brought Pierre Turgeon here and. Um, Everyone loves Turgeon, and and I I listen. The guy was really good here. Um, the thing that people like, uh, you know, they just had the Hall of Fame uh, voting, and Turgeon didn't get in, and people here got all bent out of shape. And uh, I think Pierre Turgeon was excellent here. His big year, of course, was a contract year. I always kind of remind people of that because he had a monster year. He had like 130 points, but it was also a contract year. Um, yeah, and yeah. you know, like maybe I, I'm still a little. Not bitter, but I love Pat LaFontaine. And, and um, you know, Pat LaFontaine kind of put them in a bind where they, they basically had to trade him. And the fact that they got back what they got, what they did get back for Patty was amazing because, you know, they got back uh, Pierre and Benny Hogue and uh, Dave McElwain and Yui Krupp. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty big haul for Pat LaFontaine. So, and all those guys contributed, but I love, I just love Patty. I usually go on my Twitter soapbox at least once a year about how the Islanders should retire his number, but they, they haven't yet. And his number's retired yeah. in Buffalo. It's cool because he, when he started, he had guys like, like Bobby Nystrom and Gillies protecting him. And then even um, with going back to Kenny Baumgartner, Bomber's first game with the Islanders uh, was in Chicago. And uh, he had to jump in because Dave Manson was roughing up Pat LaFontaine. And some people may not realize that Bomber and Dave Manson were teammates on uh, Memorial Cup winning Prince Albert team. So they were buddies. But, you know, like Bomber had to make it known right away that, you know, Patty's a star player and uh, you can't run him. And, of course, that was the impetus to the famous playoff brawl against the Rangers where um, James Patrick elbowed, elbowed Patty pretty good, knocked him out. And then with two seconds left, uh, they had the big brawl where uh, – Bomber went after Chris King and Mick Fakoda beat up Bloomberg and uh, it was a big, big line brawl. And it was, it was the only thing good about that game. It was a lot of fun to see them uh, handle things. But the the best part about that is when they're lined up for the faceoff and you just see Bomber skating around like a shark. He's just skating in circles. He's spinning and he's just waiting for the puck to drop. And then he went right to Chris King. I mean, just literally getting goosebumps. Now I'm hearing Jake's McDonald's call in my head. Um, but yeah, so you, you got like Patty. He was protected by a lot of tough players from different generations. Pat was a beauty. So who who do you have as number one? Well, number one is Clark Gillies, and um, I I think with Gillies, Gillies is the easy pick for number one. Because, I got him. Yeah. So I mean, I love Clark Gillies. Clark Gillies is my favorite player when I was a kid. All right, Gillies, Nystrom, Brian Trotty, Podvin. I love all those guys. Okay. But what happens is as I get older. And I look at the numbers and I knew all along that Gilly's high in penalty minutes for any one season was 99. Like he never broke triple digits in penalty minutes. And I always knew that, but as you get older and you look at the number of fights and the, and the, you know, number of fights that maybe Nystrom had around the same time or in some of the years, Gary Howitt, um, then it comes into that, that like gray area of the fear factor. 
And no matter who you talk to back then, Gillies had the fear factor. So you have to you have to include that in any sort of countdown. But the fact is, Gillies probably the series of fights he's most known for is he had the four fights with Terry O'Reilly in the playoffs in 1980. That's the most fights he ever had in any. He had seven fights in the playoffs that year. That's the most fights he ever had at any time. He never had, never even had seven fights in a regular season with the Islanders. He had seven fights in the playoffs. The highest he ever had in a regular season with the Islanders was six. So there, and again, it's no nobody's lining up to fight Clark Gillies back in the day. All right, Clark Gillies will hurt you. Just ask Ed Hospodar. Okay, Gillies will, he will hurt you. But now you get to that area where what what do you consider, what do you hold, what holds more water with you is what I'm trying to say. A guy like Gillies who has 40 fights with the Islanders or a guy like Nystrom who has almost 100. You know, again, it's maybe guys fought Nystrom because they didn't want to fight Gillies. So you really have to kind of, you have to work that out. The individual has to work that out with themselves. What of you- course, yeah. But I mean, at the same time, if you're a plug, why why would the guy that's a good hockey player want to fight you? Yeah, but I but I think back then with in Gillies and Nystrom's day, you didn't have many of the plugs that people call them today. Um, no, I'm just saying that Gillies was a better hockey player, right? But but everybody fought back then. Like one of the fights that Gillies had, that a guy that actually did pretty well against him was a guy named Danny Gare, and Danny Gare is an underrated fighter. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't a fighter primarily, but he was a good player who could fight. Because back then, everybody kind of fought their own battles. Like one, yeah. one guy who never really gets a lot of press as far as Islanders go, as far as being a decent fighter, is Bob Bourne. Bob Bourne could could handle himself in a fight, but he was uh-huh. he was a second line player, uh, third line player. He was fast as as can be, but if he had to fight, he would, and he did pretty well in his fights. Because back then, in that era, everybody had to you know on the especially in the Islanders. I think the only guys who really never fought at all were bossy and maybe Butch Goring. Um, but everyone kind of did their own thing. And so that's the thing where what I'm saying is part of the reason why I decided to do this extensive project that I'm going to work on is because of, let's say, Clark Gillies. Because like I said, you ha- I have Howitt, you know, you have Howitt, Nystrom, Vakoda, Gillies, and Cairns in my top five. I think the impetus for me doing this project that I want to work on is if Bob Nystrom was number one, he would be a solid number one. He has almost a hundred fights with the Islanders. There'd be no question, but because most people put Gillies at number one, I want to kind of examine that. And I want to, I want to kind of look at it and say, he had 40 fights. Who did he fight? Uh, You know, at the same time, Bob Nystrom at 99, Mick Vakoda, he finished his career with the Islanders with 160 fights. So, and again, it's different eras. It's apples and oranges, but yeah. because Gillies is mostly regarded as the toughest guy in the history of the team, I felt like it kind of opened the door for me to kind of examine it a little closer. But for now, I'm going to be number one, and, and I'm confident in that. I'm okay with that. But, and I know Darren actually is is one of these guys who he's not so sure about that because of the lack of action. And I totally get that, which is why, I have an issue with it also. I'm going to put him at number one, but I could also make an argument for Nystrom, Cairns, Lakota, or Howard. Yeah, there you go. I have Eric Cairns, Clark Gillies, number two, Bomber as number three, uh, Eric Bolton, and then Trevor Gillies. 
Those were my top five, but I mean, I matched all your guys, so I don't have Nystrom, so you taught me something. Yeah, listen, all the guys you named are, are tough, but like I said, our, 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 I think our list differs, A, because I've pretty much seen every Islander fight there's ever been. I, I think age has a lot to do with it also, even though, you know, 15 years is a pretty big difference, you know, for us, and, uh, you know, because even, at, let's just say we started watching hockey when we were five years old. So now I'm starting. I'm starting to watch the game at in 1975, and you're starting to watch the game in 1990. So a lot of stuff is a lot of stuff happened in, in those years. So yeah. I should I should know more about the older guys than you because I lived through it. But your your list is is fine. It's cool to learn about guys like Nystrom and stuff like that. So that's awesome. No, listen. I, you know the thing about me is that, like I said, I don't know a lot about many things. But I'd like to think I have some knowledge about this. And not everyone will agree with what I say, and that's fine. But I'd like to think that I can at least make the case for it where if you don't agree with what I'm saying, you can at least say, I see why you're saying it, but I still don't agree with you. And then I'm cool with that. 100%. I'm going to put you through the interrogation. Are you okay with that? Yeah, I, I, I mastered your first one. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> Who's your favorite CFL player of all time? My favorite CFL player of all time is Derek Dennis, uh, offensive lineman. Uh, most recently with uh, Calgary, um, Derek Dennis is a big reason why I'm a Saskatchewan Rough Rider fan. He's also from New York. He's also from Queens, where I'm originally from. Your celebrity crush, Brad Pitt. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. The second rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. <laughs> Like I like I I mean listen it's not that I'm trying not to get in trouble my wife and I have been together forever I don't know like yeah I'll I'll see different celebrities that are attractive let's say but um I I don't know I think I'm too old for that it's probably because of COVID <laughs> no I I like I said I uh it's listen there are a lot of there are a lot of beautiful women in the world um but I like I said I don't I don't know it's never it's never really been my thing I don't I don't go gaga over celebrities. Who's your favorite current UFC fighter? Oh, that's actually a tough one. Um, I don't watch it nearly as much as I used to. I used to live and breathe this stuff. I don't do it anymore. Um, current UFC fighter. Hmm, who's still fighting? Because I like a lot of the older guys. You know who I'm going to say right now? Um, just had a fight. Um, Jim Miller. Jim Miller from New Jersey. He's, he's uh, oh, God, he's got to be up there with all-time UFC fighters. Who's the GOAT? In you in MMA? Yeah. I hate to say it because he, he just seems like, I don't know what his story is, but I'm going to say John Jones. I got to agree with you. I mean, you know, it, it's usually it's usually one of four guys. It's either John Jones, George St. Pierre, Anderson Silva, or a Fedor. So I think, I, and again, like similar to my, my Islander, you know, number one, I think anyone can make a case for any of those four guys. But John Jones... When he when his head's on straight, I think John Jones just could destroy anybody. He used to be such an easy guy to root for. I love the guy. I was cage side when he beat Shogun Hua for for the title. That's crazy. Well, yeah, Dana White really hooked us up. So I was cage side for that. That was one of the coolest things. Yeah, it's it's unreal. I was cage side sitting next to Dana White for that fight. What what Dana White and the UFC did for me after my incident. Well, but we're, are we done with the interrogation? I got one more question, but it's not very important. All right. So when everything happened to me and I and, and the media starts asking me questions and I start talking about the single leg takedown um, and I start talking about this and I say, well, I've never trained, but I've been watching UFC since UFC one. 
Okay. So now what happens is the media is going to run with whatever they want to run with. And that became a central part to the story. So what happens is UFC is it's, it's blossoming at that point. So now they're in Vegas, I'm in New York, but every interview I'm doing, because the Monday after everything happened in that whole week, I did interview, I did a ton of interviews and in every one of them, it comes up about the single leg takedown and how I watch UFC. So now what happens is the way the story has been told to me, Dana White is in a meeting with a bunch of the UFC guys and it's like clockwork. Every one of their phones is blowing up now, but they're in a meeting and no one's going to pick up their phone. Right. But it got to the point where they had to actually stop the meeting because everyone was texting these people, Dana White included in this meeting, basically saying, have you heard about this guy in New York? He stopped the spree killer and he talking about the UFC. So it got to the point where I guess they couldn't ignore it anymore. You know, like they they couldn't have their meeting. One of the coolest things about everything that happened to me, um, the Monday after everything happened, uh, we went, we came to New York city. Uh, I was on good morning America. They, they sent the car for us and they drove us home and it was, a, and keep in mind, this is really 48 hours after everything happened. And, but I felt like I should do all the interviews people asked me to do. It's fine. You know, but we, we were on our way home and we were, in, you know, good morning. America's on really early and probably did a bunch of, you know, hours worth of interviews. So we're probably on our way back to long Island, um, you know, early afternoon, but I'm, I'm wiped. I mean, I'm still recovering and I'm fucking tired. So I'm, we're in the truck going home and my phone's still blowing up. And I just look at my wife and I go, I got to give you the phone. I said, if uh, I'm not, I just can't talk to anyone. I'm exhausted. I 48 hours after, you know, hopefully that'll yeah. be, I'm not. Yeah. So I'll do, I'll do phone interviews, but I don't really want to do it. I don't want to come back to the city or anything. Right. So I, when we got back to my mom's, because like I said, I was living in Philadelphia at the time we, we, we were staying at my mom's for the week. And uh, so I got back to my mom's and um, I'm just like kind of, vegging out on the sofa my wife says i'm gonna go upstairs and take a nap because we've basically been up since like 4 30 in the morning and i'm kind of vegging out on the sofa and you know in and out whatever and my phone starts and this i don't want to say it was back in 2011 so i had a flip phone because the truth is i've only had a smartphone for two years but i had a flip phone and i get a message a text from a number i don't know and i open up i flip it open and it says uh I don't remember the name, but they go, I'm from Fox five, New York here. And, um, Dana white wants to meet you. And I had already told my wife, I'm not going back to do any interviews. I'll do them over the phone. So now I get this text that Dana white wants to meet me and I'm going in my head like, okay, well they're in Vegas. So, you know, probably meet him next time he's in town or whatever. So I call the number and I talk to the guy. He goes, no, he's in town. It's two days later, stitches, staples, black eye, everything's still there. I told my wife, I'm not going. Uh, if I do any other interviews that day, it's got to be over the phone because I'm, I'm wiped. When I call the guy back from Channel 5 and I go, yeah, when, when does he want to meet? He goes, tonight. I'm like, tonight? He's in Vegas. He goes, no, he's in New York and he wants to meet you tonight. And I was like, holy fucking shit. So I grab one of my sons and I go, hey go upstairs and wake up mom. 
and uh, tell her we're going back to the city tonight. So she comes downstairs and she goes, what are you talking about? Why? I thought you didn't want to go back to the city. I go, uh, Dana White wants to meet me. We're going to the city tonight. And so I'm like, holy fuck, right? So um, so they send, the, they send the car for us. They bring us to this nice hotel. And it's the kind of hotel that I would never even think about. It's a peninsula hotel. It's one of those hotels that I think if I walk past it, they call the cops. And if I walk past it looking like I did, they definitely call the cops. But we get to the hotel, and uh, I met a guy who I'm still friends with to this day, a guy, Jim Byrne, who doesn't work cool. with us anymore. He met us outside. He brought us into this room. And um, so we're there, and he gives us – he gives me, like, uh, a couple of T-shirts. He gave my wife this um, limited edition coach purse. I think they said they made 100 of them with UFC fighters on them, like drawings. Um, gave her that. Gave us a bunch of stuff. And I'm, like, in tears going – wow, this is really nice of you guys, right? And he looks at me and he goes, brother, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? So I go, all right, no problem. So then they go, all right, Dana's coming down. Now, the whole stipulation was I couldn't say anything to anybody because it was going to be a Channel 5 exclusive. So they were there filming the whole thing. So he comes in and I almost lose my shit. Like, I'm like, holy fuck, right? Like, I love this guy. And he came in and we were, we bullshit for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes and, um, He's nice saying, guy or what? Listen, I, I know people feel one way or the other about him. I don't necessarily agree with everything he does business-wise, but I'll never say a bad word about the man after what he did for me, okay? Well, he's a businessman, so, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, I he'd be a guy I'd want to do business for me. I mean, his record speaks for itself, but just yeah, person, person, person to person. So let me just tell you. So he goes, um, he goes, here's what I want to do. He goes, I want to treat you guys to dinner uh, at the hotel. He goes, I want to get you guys a room for the night because I'm sure it's been crazy the last couple of days, um, you know, so you could stay here for the night. Um, and then I want you guys to be my guest at UFC 128 when it comes to me oh. because I want you to sit with me cage side. I'm like, and this is all, this stuff's on YouTube because you, they filmed it. So I'm just like, holy shit, like I'm crying. And uh, yeah, so like I said to him, and it's funny. So there's actually two funny parts, one funny part, but. I said to him, I said, well, I appreciate the offer for the overnight stay. I said, but I'd rather go back with my wife and hang out with my kids because I feel like I, I just want to be with them. So I'll accept your offer of dinner and fuck yeah, I'll accept your offer to watch the UFC with you, but I'm going to pass on the night in the hotel. He's like, okay. So one thing I did say to him, which he got to laugh at, my favorite MMA fighter of all time, nobody will ever top, in my opinion, is Keith, the Dean of Mean Jardine. I love Keith Jardine. And right around this time, Dana had released him. He wasn't the best, but I liked him. Oh, no. Listen, he's not the best fighter. He's my favorite. Beat Chuck Liddell. Well, that was great. Um, but I like Keith. You know what? I I, I followed his career. I kind of like him because he's kind of like a lunch pail kind of guy, a blue-collar guy. He's not fancy. Um, he doesn't win all his fights, but he's always in the fight. Dana had released him recently so i said hey can i give you shit about something and he starts laughing he goes what i'm like you just released keith jardine he's my favorite fighter and he just starts laughing because he's like because i guess that was the last thing he was expecting to hear from from me and i go he goes look he goes i love keith he goes i hope he goes somewhere and he and he wins some fights and we bring him back he goes i love the guy uh but it was just funny because I, I was here he is he's doing all this fun amazing stuff for us and i'm giving him shit but uh but no, and the thing about so so there's two two more things about the UFC. 
um, we, we go, we were in New York for a week. We get home and I get a call from his secretary and she goes, just send me the sizes of clothes that for you and your family. And I said, okay. Now I'm thinking well, they're going to send us some stuff, right? Because it's the UFC. They're cool. They're going to send us some stuff. Well, a couple of days later, we go to my doctor for a follow-up appointment. We pull up in our driveway and I swear to fucking, I, I just swear to God, there's got to be 10, 12 huge boxes from the UFC. I mean, we were just like, we pull into the driveway. We're like, what is all this stuff? And I look and it says Zufa. And I go, holy shit, this is all from the UFC. And they, I think they sent us, what I, what I said to people at the time was, if you go on the UFC website and you go to their store, I basically got one of everything, I think. And, you know, they found out that my son's favorite fighters, my, both my sons love Chuck Liddell. Uh, they knew I like Keith. I mean, I like Chuck too. They Everything I think they had of Chuck Liddell they sent. Um, and it was, it was just phenomenal. And then, um, one of the coolest things, uh, was I was able to actually march in the St. Patrick's day parade with, with Chuck Liddell, um, when, before the, before UFC 145. Well, I saw that picture. Wasn't Dana White there too? No, you know, who was there that day that, that was kind of like, not the chaperone, but he was, he was kind of, he brought me from place to place. And, and I'm glad you asked me that because I don't want to forget. Um, the guy who started the WEC is a gentleman named Reed Harris. And Reed Harris is one of the absolute nicest people I have ever met. And uh, he, he is a friend to this day. His wife, Laura, is a friend to this day. And uh, they're, they're just, they're the, two of the most amazing people that I, it's, it's really like you hear people say, it's an honor to know you. Like, it's really an honor to know Reed and Laura, they're just really amazing people. So I always say that's one of the coolest things about what happened to me was knowing, knowing Reed and Laura and being their friends because um, the world needs more people like them. How was Chuck? Chuck was awesome, man. Chuck was, you, you here's the thing. I, I had never experienced, you have to understand. So now Chuck Liddell is Chuck Liddell at the time. Chuck Liddell is one of the, most and he probably still is but he's one of the most recognizable people in the world okay so just just imagine you're at the saint patrick's day parade in new york city and you're chuck liddell and every two feet you walk someone's asking you for an autograph someone's asking you for a picture and the guy said yes to everybody said yes everybody chuck can i get a picture chuck can i guy said yes to every single person. It was unbelievable to watch. He was, he was unreal. I mean, uh, you want to hear my favorite Chuck Liddell story? So we go to another, um, another event. I forget where it was. Reed Harris invites us to dinner. So it's Reed Harris, his wife, Laura, Andrea, my wife, Andrea, myself, and Chuck and his wife are, we're all at the table and we're eating dinner. And, we start talking about my kids and both Andrea and I said, Oh yeah, you're their favorite fighter. So he goes, call. And we call my kids and he gets on the phone. He starts bullshitting with my kids. I probably, my oldest son probably, you know, got on the phone first and I'm like, Oh, Joey, hold on. Someone wants to talk to you. It's Chuck Liddell. See all, all the cool stories that I have, all the cool stories 
revolve, you know, for me, revolve around my family because that's the most important thing to me. So when we're at dinner and Chuck Liddell says, call your kids, I want to say hello to them. Like that just, that means everything to me. No, that's insane. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, for everything that, for everything that New York city didn't do for me or did to me at the time, um, you know, people like the UFC and Dana White and Reed Harris and, uh, you know, the Islanders and the Flyers, uh, you know, a bunch of people did a lot of really, really nice things for me. And uh, and I'm always grateful to them because that's part of the reason why I was able to recover like I did. Um, and a lot of people, you know, there, there'd be too many to name, but we're, we're talking hundreds of people reached out to me from all walks of life. And, um, and it was just phenomenal. And, uh, you know, like I said, just, it, it, I, I'm very grateful to everybody that reached out to me to really help me through that time. I have one good story. That's it. Other than that, I'm just a regular schlub. If I have to meet Chuck Liddell by getting butchered by someone, I'd rather not meet Chuck Liddell. I'm very happy. I met Chuck Liddell. I'm very happy that if I want to right now, I can call Keith Jardine or text Keith Jardine because we've become friends, uh, when he heard about my story, um, you know, he heard about my story. There's a MMA writer named Mike Chiapetta, and uh, he was on the phone with me for maybe two and a half hours one day, uh, just talking about the incident and my love for MMA. And we were talking about a bunch yeah. of guys, and uh, he asked me who my favorite fighter was, and I said Keith Jardine. I think it was Joey Villasenor read the story, and Joey trained with Keith, and he got in touch with Keith, and then the, Keith got my number from Mike Chiapetta. Keith called me, invited me and Andrea to a fight in Albuquerque, and and we've been friends ever since. So you know, like, he, he won that fight. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. So uh, yeah, it was great. And uh, but like I said, I, a lot of cool things have happened to me, and and it really isn't about me. It's about everybody who reached out and did really nice things for me. Cool that you were a fan of his because I remember when he beat Chuck. You know what I mean? It was like a long shot. Yep. Um, I got two more questions. Yep, go ahead. What's next on the Coliseum Chronicles? Um, well, I've been in touch with Eric Bolton. Uh, he's in the middle of a move right now. So I don't know if I'm going to be able to chat with him this week. And if I can't chat with him this week, then the next episode will be my top 10 Islander, top 10 toughest Islanders defenseman. Um, if I can chat with him, then he'll be next. Right on. No, that's awesome. My last question out of any celebrity, who would you want to share a beer with? You really want to know who I want to share a beer with? Don Cherry. He could dangle, he could score. Who else, Bobby Orr? Let's go. Let's go. Who's the best I often ponder right now at CB Wonder? Let's go. Let's go. That's a good one. I mean, listen, here's the thing. If you're talking dead or alive, like, all right, one guy I'd like to meet who's dead is Lane Staley, the lead singer of Alice in Chains, because that's my favorite band. But here's the thing, okay? I've been, like I said, I've been very fortunate to have met a lot of people who I, who I would have wanted to meet. There are still a handful of people who I hope to meet one day. Um, and Don Cherry is at the top of the list. So... If I was, if you're, and you know, and that's why I didn't, it didn't even take me any time to think about it because that is, you know, especially hockey wise, there are very few people in the world of hockey that I haven't met. And this goes way before anything happened on the subway. Um, so there's very few people in the world of hockey that I haven't met that I would love to meet. Uh, Don Cherry's a big one. And, and um, I would love 
I, I honestly don't know what I would do. Like I'm, I'm, I'm almost 50 years old and I honestly don't know what I would say to him other than like, what do you say to a, a person? Like I said, you had a bad experience with him and I respect that, but is, he's a guy that I've admired for decades. Would you be more nervous to meet Bobby Orr or Don Cherry? I met Bobby Orr already. I met Bobby Orr once when, uh, when I went to see Dean Ewan playing. I wouldn't be nervous to meet Don Cherry. I'm not nervous to meet anybody. Um, I just don't know what I would say. Like, what do you say to a guy that you've admired for decades? If you, like, so I'm 50. I've, I've been a fan of Don Cherry's probably for 40 years. So it's not that I'm nervous to meet him. I would just want to make sure I had all my ducks in a row because there's probably 50 things I'd love to talk to him about. And I don't want it to come out like, like that. I would, I would really just like, you know, first I would thank him for, uh, I would thank him for reading my book and sending me all that stuff. And I, I think, you know what it is? I think for someone like myself, one of the guys I love hearing stories from is a guy like Brian Burke because he's an old school hockey guy. So, and another guy that has, that used to have great stories, but unfortunately he's gone, uh, Pat Quinn. Like these old school hockey guys have the best stories. And part of the, you know, like for someone like myself, uh, Don getting getting fired from TV actually worked out okay for someone like myself because now twice a week I'm getting a podcast from this guy where he's doing old hockey stories, which to me, I love the old school hockey stories. So, yeah. you know, so for me, it would really be, you know, like I don't want to, I don't want to say it'd be a dream come true, but it would probably be a dream come true to actually get up to Ontario and just sit with Don Cherry, have a beer and just listen to him just tell stories. Two guys I'd love to meet who are older, who I worry that I'm never going to meet are Don Cherry and Marv Levy, the uh, former Buffalo Bills coach. I would love to meet both of those guys just because the knowledge that they have for their respective sports, it would just, you know, it's not often you get to sit down and pick someone's brain that knows so much about something like that. You know what I'm saying? So those are two guys who I would, I would kill to meet those guys. You know, but Don definitely would be number one in a heartbeat. I would love to meet. Like even now, he put up a bunch of his, uh, he's selling a bunch of his old suits for I think um, animal rescue or some some like a hundred percent of the proceeds are going I think to animal rescue up in Ontario or something. And um, and I'm looking at the prices going. Oh, I can't afford this, but I wish I could. I wish I could. But uh, I, I listen. I, I I try to be an optimist. So I'm hoping one day I get to meet Don Cherry. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. Right on. No, that's awesome. Well, thanks for joining me. Let's do it again soon. My pleasure. Name the time and the place. I'll be there. No, rien de rien. No, je ne regrette rien. Ni le bien. Hey, yeah.